Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. today. You too, how are you? I'm excited that we're talking about pneumatology. <laughs> I know it's a funny thing that I would get excited about that, but but I, I am excited about it. I don't think we talk about this very much. Well, yeah, we're going to unpack that as we go. So let's tell everyone what it is. <laughs> so pneumatology is the study of the spirit. So pneuma, which I think is spelled P-N-E-U, M-A, pneuma, um, is really traditionally Holy Spirit or the the part of God that is that is Spirit, the sort of the third person of the Trinity, but over time has really come to mean the Spirit with a capital S, which could be both the Spirit of life, kind of let loose in the world, and also speaks to the way in which each individual person participates in the divine, that our own connection with the spiritual. Yeah, so for this one, you know, a lot of the terms we use, I think, are more sort of in the vernacular. This one feels a little bit more esoteric. Um, and so I think it might help if we sort of give a little bit, at least sort of in the in the world that we know best, so the sort of progression of Christianity and its relationship to American culture, if we give like a little bit of an, a sort of an account of how this, how we understand spirit over the course of the last 2000 years. Sure, well, and it, it's funny because in some ways this has changed a lot and, and yet theology, of course, is a living science, so it, it, it changes. It has changed over the last, you know, 2,000, 4,000 years. And at the same time, I'm not sure that we've spent that much time thinking or talking about it, that it's actually changed as dramatically as we want to think that it does. So historically, there are, you know, we could do like a whole long history lesson, maybe one, one podcast series will be just on the history of these things. So I'm not going to go deeply into the history, but... There, there was from the beginning in uh, Christian thought, this idea that, that God was embodied in the person of Jesus. And after the theology got sort of worked through in uh, Castle of Nicaea and the Castle of Chalcedon, the, ultimately the idea of Jesus as fully human and fully God. And in some ways that extends, right, especially in liberal theology, that extends to each human person, that we are kind of fully embodied and we are fully inspirited. And what that's meant historically has been this kind of tension between these two realities. And over time, there have been all kinds of groups that pay a lot of attention to one side, right? The, 
hedonists, right? And the, there's been this sort of sense of too much to the body and too much to the spirit. And we see cultures all through history holding up people who deny their bodies. And you and I were talking before about the guy who was at the top of the pole for 20 years and the way that Saint Francis was emulated and Teresa of Avila because they stopped eating. Right? So the sense of like, if you were a truly holy person, you could deny your body in its fullest and deny yourself sleep and walk for 40 days and do all kinds of things that sort of um, force the body to into a state of um, uh, sort of shutting down so that this spirit could really take over, right? It was about like spiritual conquest. So we've had this long history of this, this tension and then, and over and over it was declared heresy, right? It's always heretical, like to hold up one over the other. Jesus was fully human and fully God that the spirit is, is, you know, very, very good, but the body is very, very good and made by God. And it is also holy, but it's been a complicated history. Well, I think that's what's really interesting here, right? Is that Christianity has this new element of like fully incarnated divine, right? So we see in other cultures and other traditions, other religions, the idea that like God might take on the appearance of something else, right? You can think of like Zeus taking on the appearance of a swan or, but the idea that like God would be fully two things exist on earth for the span of a human lifetime, right? As opposed to just like becoming a swan to rape someone, right? Like there, it's a different kind of concept. Um, and so you get that thing that you just described the incarnational theology, right? Like the incarnation means something. But what I think has really been interesting to me over the years is that although you have incarnational theology and you must at all times affirm right? In a, in a Trinitarian sort of orthodoxy, affirm that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. What actually plays out on the ground is the idea that your body is something you want to rise above, right? Or that you want to overcome, or you want to have mastery over by self-abnegation or whatever that you, that you want to somehow control. And part of that probably comes from scripture stories themselves, right? Where, where indeed, people who you know live in poverty or walk really far or even adam and eve feeling ashamed of their bodies in the garden like that there are so sometimes it, for me what it lifts up a little bit is the high level theology of a religious tradition versus how the tradition is understood and lived on the ground right because on the ground especially through the monastic worlds of the medieval period right tons of like self-flagellation and fasting and where even now there's a Trappist monastery in Massachusetts that makes delicious jam and they're not supposed to talk right and like so thing even now the idea remains right you shouldn't have sex you shouldn't talk you should like that there's something about overcoming the base desires of a body that is considered holy on some level in the imagination of more conservative folks and if not denying it really constraining it right or really like making sure that certain rules are followed so that the sinful part of humanness because i and maybe this uh, we can talk this through but you and i think right that every person is is divine and also human right and but i'm not sure that catholic theology necessarily teaches that every person 
is like unto Jesus in exactly that way, right? In other words, the universalist part of you and me, right, sort of says every person is holy, every person is saved. They might make bad choices, but those are choices not fundamental to their being in the world, right? And that's that's very different from conservative theology, which says fundamentally humans are flawed and fallen and less than, and they can achieve something like salvation, but that it requires, right? And historically, in many moments, it has required denying the body in some way or other. Yeah, and I think it's not just Christian. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about when Siddhartha Gautama was trying to find his path, right? And he followed this Hindu ascetic path and discovered that starving yourself doesn't actually lead to enlightenment. Although plenty of people continue to think that it does. Right? I mean, it, it, there does seem to be some kind of human impulse. I mean, when we talk historically that this has been going on for so long, but it's also in a contemporary way that, that people continue to deny themselves thinking that if you deny the body then the spirit will grow that we become more spiritual, become more balanced. And I don't know that, well, I do know that I don't agree. I don't think that that denial actually brings balance. I think balance brings balance. And I think that, and, and ultimately that's where Siddhartha Gautama came out on this. Like there's a middle way that there's, it, it isn't about indulgence and, and it isn't about denial. It is about balance and that we have to, have some of all things. I, I suspect that American culture just culturally is leaning really heavy on the, on the indulgence right now. We want to live in sort of whatever way, you know, we want whatever we want when we want it. And we aren't terribly good at self-denial and we're not terribly good at talking about spirit or about, about the balance of spirit and body. And I don't know that we're, you know, I think we were always a religious people. I'm not sure that we were a spiritual people. We, we may have been, but I'm not sure. I, we are not currently either religious or spiritual. We, I think we are um, leaning into more of a body-centered and, and sometimes in a good way and sometimes not, you know, I mean, there, there's both there too. Yeah, right, because there are distinctions. I think this is this raises for me a really interesting nuance and distinction between hedonism and indulgence and empowerment and acceptance, right? So the the like fat liberation movement, right? Like that body positivity, that is not indulgence. That's this is my body and it is holy and spirit and material and all those things all together, right? So and, that's a really good yeah. example, though, of the balance, right? That is spiritual. That is both body and spirit. That's a way of saying, this is my body and it is good and it is holy and it is balanced, right? Which is different, I think, from the, the hedonism piece. Sorry. Right, right. No, no, no. But you're right, right? Like, that is an important distinction to make. And interestingly, I think there's there's this other piece and not to sort of force us into like a conversation about like American culture and exercise and all of that, but there's this other side that's about like, um, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of peers who are really concerned that their body conform to a certain way that a body should conform. And 
as a result, there's a kind of self-denial that's about perfecting the body that, that doesn't seem to be about perfecting the spirit, right? So this idea that you're doing one to balance, like to increase the other, right? There's, that's where I think you're right, that we've kind of let go of spirit entirely. And we're focused in a funny way on like some ideal vision of what a body should be and, and doing a ton of like self-denial or forcing self to do things one doesn't want to do or whatever, right? Like it gets really complicated. It gets really complicated. And I think ultimately part of the point is that a liberal religious position is going to say, you are not just spirit and you are not just body. These two things together, along with many other things like your history and your upbringing and your everything conspire to be you, right? And, and all of that deserves care and focus and a chance to flourish. Um, I suppose one question that arises for me is like, how do we move toward that balance? How do we move toward spirit more? Um, you can't compel people, you know? Well, I mean, it kind of starts for me with knowing the world as ensouled, right? I, I, part of the, um, the brokenness in all of this for me is because everything always comes back to the climate, but I, I do feel like we, we have forgotten that the world is in soul and we have, we deny, we just sort of use the body, in this case, the earth's body in whatever way we want and bringing balance back, I think is, is a central task for the 21st century. So you know, no, you can't force somebody to um, to grow their spirit, but I think you can demonstrate what the world looks like when you don't. And that's for the whole world and it's for ourselves, right? What does my world look like? What what does my my body feel like when I'm not balancing? And I, I work with someone who um, just asked if we can change her schedule because she just wants to take yoga in the morning. That makes sense to me. You know, like we that we bring balance back by just reshifting, you know, that you can change your work schedule. Of course, we're really lucky that we're working from home and you can actually fairly easily change a work schedule, but to to be able to to prioritize yeah. balance. That we all I think that when we don't do it, we all feel it. Right? We're living in these really broken worlds and 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 we're watching as, you know, we sort of silenced all the voices all over the planet and we were watching what that means. What are the ramifications of that? So it's interesting, right? Cause I know for you, it comes back to the climate stuff. And, and I actually, I mean, I feel that too, right? Like the idea that we walk around the world without any sense of wonder or sense of spirit as imbued in existence, right? Um, it, for me, I think often it comes back to American culture and the sense of scarcity and greed. So that the idea that like, you can only choose one, your body or your spirit, and then you've got like, you can only focus on one, right? Like, no, actually you can focus on both. And one doesn't have to come at the expense of the other. And you can view your moments in the pool as spiritual in a funny way. So like the idea that there isn't some um, particular way of consuming the world or consuming our own lives, right? That is better 
right? Because I think that's part of it is like, I have to produce, I have to do, I have to do, I have to do, and I can't just be and become because that's part of what pneumatology is too, is right? It's like being and becoming and like having a sense of like your yourself, right? Um, God, it's interesting to really think about how one can affect a change. Um, and I do think like your point about like the ability to change your schedule. I think that three years ago, four years ago, someone might've been afraid to ask that, right? So it may be that the moment, like as horrific as the pandemic's been, it's also cracked open certain things in certain ways, right? And the, the collective global confrontation with grief, with uncertainty, with pain, there's an opportunity there as we've seen in real time, bodies essentially fail, right? There's a, there's a moment of body, spirit, something, right? That maybe is an opportunity. One of the things though, for me, part of this whole task is really like, how do you make theology accessible and how do you explain mm -hmm. it to people? And what's sort of interesting to me is who's listening to this? Because the people who are listening are probably people who are already wondering how they bring themselves back into balance or who are trying to grow their own spirits or their spiritual lives or to connect to their to life or their own lives in some meaningful way. And, and so many people aren't on that path. Right? So many people are living in this experience of brokenness and the experience that you're talking about of, of grief and aren't looking for the opportunity. They're, they're just sinking into it or sliding into patterns that don't feel good or aren't good for, for their own lives. For me, this, the older piece of this, the, um, the idea that pneumatology is about the Holy Spirit also, I think, brings us an opportunity for balance, this idea that, that there is a spirit in the world that we can tap into, that we can connect with, that we breathe in, and that we can become part of that, that sort of spiritual reality, and maybe invite other people into this other way of living in the world. Does that make sense? It does. It does. But it requires having an orientation that believes that that's true, right? I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Is that if you start from a place of, you know, I'm going to die and everything is meaningless, then you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily. So I think part of what we're both saying from different angles is that there's a degree to which an openness to the world is, is required, right? An openness to earth, an openness to new ways of being, to change whatever, to the spirit of life that imbues the world. So I think you're right. Our audience is likely folks who are either already really open or already seeking balance or are the type of people who would ask for the morning off to do yoga or would give the morning off to give yoga, right? To do yoga. And I think that part of maybe like, Maybe what it is a little bit is, yes, we're preaching to the choir and part of the message to the choir is don't be shy about, right? So if you've got a friend who's like, I really want to do yoga, but I'm not going to because I'm supposed to be on at nine, advise your friend to go ahead and ask for that time, right? Or if you're, you know, a parent 
and you're watching your child take in all of the you sort of body duality of body and spirit actively work against that right in the way that you um the way that you can um because you're right if the point is change obviously changing oneself is the place you start but spreading it a little bit out into all of your circles is the next step what pneumatology tells us is that we are all wildly radically interconnected yeah. that we were breathing in the same spirit that we are grounded in the same spirit that that which makes us each holy is that same spirit and yeah. and part of knowing that is just invitational yeah. yeah i mean one could go on for days about <laughs> <laughs> about spirit and about the mind body duality um, but we promised that these were going to be short that's right we did we did <laughs> Yes, we did. <laughs> but we could talk about this a long time. And I actually think we should do another podcast about the body-mind relationship yeah. or the body-soul. Yeah. It's so important. I have a whole thing on. But yes, another yeah. day. Body liberation. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, another day. It's good talking to you, Sarah. <laughs> you too. Bye, Maggie. Bye. <laughs>